Hello, my name is Shelby, and welcome to Education 612, Meaningful Assessment Practices from Concordia College. We will be reading a few different books that may challenge our thinking on current assessment practices that we currently use in our classrooms. We will also dive into different strategies and research to move forward and improve our assessment practices to best meet the needs of our students. I cannot wait to get started and share some of the new things I've learned from the readings. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our reading for today comes from Grading for Equity, What It Is, Why It Matters, and How It Can Transform Schools and Classrooms, written by Joe Feldman. We'll be focusing on chapters 10 through 12 today. And so chapter 10 is continuing um, from the idea of practices that value knowledge, not the environment or the behavior. And something that I learned in that, um, it was kind of just talking about past practices and so for example with homework a lot of um personally with homework i don't grade homework because we don't have it um but typically a lot of students are sometimes rewarded for turning in their assignments or they're graded for um the level of correctness with that then people try to justify homework and that they use it for practice, which is kind of contradictory because if people are grading the homework, then you're not teaching kids that growth mindset because if mistakes are necessary for learning, we know that, but then we're going back and we're grading based on whether it's correct or not, and that's sending a contradictory message to students. The other problem is that students who need additional practice um, most likely aren't going to complete it anyways. Therefore, they're going to learn less and they'll be less prepared for the summative assessment. And then another pedagogical reason why people assign homework is because they need some kind of a formative assessment. Um, and with that, it does provide teacher with, in, with valuable insight for their students' understanding, but it's something that I believe should not be graded. So one of the... Um, solutions that Feldman offers is to grade only the attempted problems. So regardless of the correct answer or not, um, the only way to lose points is if they did not attempt. Um, this, the problem with that is it's not, it doesn't work because it provides inaccurate and invalid information and it will inequitably privilege certain students. And so through this book, they had um, some teachers' quotes as well as students' quotes on the impact of grading homework on students. And so one thing interesting from a teacher's perspective was that um, students are doing homework only to please a teacher, not to learn from it. Um, and then a quote from a student, which I thought was pretty interesting um, in regards to cheating. Um, some students cheat because they didn't have they didn't have time for it or they didn't have the information that they needed. And so they're not getting what so the teacher has a goal for the students with the homework. And students aren't getting that because ultimately their ability to complete homework is on their environment and circumstances. So they're not if the goal for homework is for practice, well some students aren't even getting that because they're copying. And so you see that homework isn't the best solution for helping students meet their learning goals. Um, students have plenty of external motivation 
to complete and do their homework. And so the external motivation is not the problem. Like we've talked in previous podcast episodes, is we're trying to instill a love for learning in our students. We want them to be intrinsically motivated to succeed. And so when we think of reframing homework, um, ultimately, we come to the conclusion that it should not be included in the grade because it's inequitable and it's unreliable. Some benefits to reframing the idea of homework. Um, it provides that students don't no longer have the incentive to copy. Teachers can reallocate their time. Students learn to take responsibility for their own learning. We're no longer double punishing students. We're allowing for different learning styles. We don't penalize them for their environmental factors or circumstances that prevent them from completing homework. And then our feedback to the students is heard and it's valued. And so that brings us into chapter 12, which is called chapter 11, which is called practices that support hope and a growth mindset. So it's that motivation pillar. And so it's important to think of how currently practicing, how do you motivate students to complete your homework? Um, one example that I can think of is like in the elementary school is some people, some teachers motivate their students to complete their homework that if they don't finish it, they're going to miss recess, which is a bad practice, but teachers still do it. Um, there was a study done by Leper, Green, and Nisbet, and they what they did is they observed classrooms to identify children who liked to draw and then invited those children to draw the research as a picture. And so there was only one element changed. One group was the expected reward group, and that group was going to create a good player certificate, and that the kids were told that if they drew a picture, they would receive a reward. The unexpected reward group, researchers did not mention the award at the beginning, but at the end of the session, the researchers handed out a good player certificate to the children who decided to dry. And then the last group was the no reward group, and the researchers invited the children to draw, but they didn't mention the award at the onset and didn't give them one at the end of the session, even if the kids drew something. And what they found out was that the no award and expect an unexpected award drew just as much and with the same quality. However, those with the expected reward, they saw a significant decrease in interest as well as quality. And so that brings us back to the idea. We know that extrinsic motivation is good for some tasks, but it's not best practice for others. Um, extrinsic motivation is good for behaviors in the classroom. Simple to, con- to, to control things. So following directions, rote tasks, um, staying seated, but it's not good for the creative and expansive complex thinking that we want our students to be doing in their learning. And so um, with that, the author brought in a few different suggestions again. Um, he returned to the idea of minimum grading. And so with the minimum grading, that is the idea that 50% is the lowest grade that a student can learn. It makes the um, grading scale a little bit more fair. So from 0 to 100, it's normally orientated towards failure with 59 of the points representing failure. However, if you set the lowest score at 50, um, then it 
offers students a chance for redemption and that it kind of teaches them that success is possible even if there's failure early on. Then they also brings up bring up a different grading scale. So thinking of a zero through four um, instead of or instead of zero for four or A through F. Something that he offered was you can do an I-N-A-M-E. The I stands for insufficient evidence. The N stands for not yet met standards. A stands for approaching standards. M stands for meeting standards. And E stands for exceeding standards. This is something pretty similar to my current grading school in second grade, or grading scale in second grade where we have letter, or, yeah, letters that represent how they're doing on a proficiency scale. And with that, it's providing a growth mindset that every student is on a path towards eventual academic success. And then um, moving forward, we're gonna go into chapter 12, which is about practices that lift the veil. A few things that stood out to me in that chapter um, was the discussion of using rubrics We've talked about how important rubrics are in our previous book, giving students a say. Um, and it's really just important to, for the use of rubrics, especially with assessments, because it provides transparency for students and parents so they know what they're getting graded on and they can self-identify what they need to improve on. But it also is ensuring objectivity and validity and reducing bias from the teacher's point of view, which is super important. And then it, Another idea that was brought up in this chapter was the use of standards-based gradebook and how it simplifies what a grade represents and how it is earned. This is something that we use in our school, so every grade is based off of a standard that is taught within that grading period. And um, like in the book, what the author shared is that it helps students in reflecting in their areas of strengths and weakness. And so versus just getting one single grade for math, they're given specific grades on the different standards. So if we learn telling time and two-digit addition and reading a calendar, well, if they just get, if they really struggle in one area and their overall grade is just a B, that doesn't tell you specifically what they need to work on. When you use standards-based grading, they're getting grades on specifically, how did they do with telling time? How did they do with calendar? How did they do with two-digit addition? And then parents and students can quickly identify, this is my student's strength, this is an area that they need additional practice and need to show improvement on. And so that is one thing that I think our school is doing well. Um, it's an improvement from my previous school that I was in. We had standards-based grading in my previous school, but it didn't really even align with the standards. I'm not sure who came up with it, but they weren't using the A through F scale, and it wasn't just a single grade for math. They had things divided up, but something that I like about my current school district that I'm in is it's all aligned to the standards that are taught each quarter. So it's not the same grades that are um, given throughout the year, unless it's a skill that students need to be practicing throughout the full year. And so with that, I will be um, returning in my next podcast with the same book, um, finishing it up with chapters 13 and 14. Thanks for listening.